Omajana Termananda Shajana Jana Salakaya Chakshuan Melitanyana Tasma Shri Gurave Namaha. Good evening. We will continue with our discussion of Sri Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarva. Tonight we're going to be discussing the twenty second and twenty third Anachetas. In order to approach these Sandarvas properly, we have to see the overall picture, what's the final result that Jeevas wants us to take to heart and how's he taking us there step by step to give us this conclusion, this philosophical conclusion to wipe out any anarthas that we may have. The word anartha is an interesting word. Uh, sometimes people use anartha differently, but if you really look at uh, Anartha Nivriti, the stage of Anartha Nivriti in devotional practice, that stage of Anartha Nivriti literally means misplaced value. Now that misplaced value could be misplaced that you're going to find pleasure where there's nothing but misery. And that's the common definition that's used. Well, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. You're looking for it in intoxication and in wealth, in uh, sex life, and that's a bad habit. Immediately we take it from a misplaced value, what's a bad habit? But it goes deeper than that. And Nartha is giving something value that doesn't really have any value. That applies not only our misplaced values for where to find enjoyment. We think we can find enjoyment on the material plane and then we think, well, if we can just quit looking on the material plane, then all of our anarthas are solved. That's not all that's involved in anartha nivriti, and we should understand that. Anartha nivriti carries over also into our, our viewpoint when it comes to spiritual life. If we have the wrong viewpoint regarding the tattva that makes up some bandhagyan which forms the foundation upon which we can build the temple of our devotional service, then it's important that all these philosophical misconceptions are dispelled. That's why something like the Sandarbhas that's offered by Srila Jiva Goswami and the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu offered by Srila Rupa Goswami and the Brihat Bhagavata Mrita offered by uh, Sanatan Goswami these insights into what's actually being conveyed in all these verses of the Bhagavatam, they gradually correct our way of thinking. And we stop giving value to misconceptions and start giving value to the proper conceptions regarding spiritual life and what is spirit, what is matter, the nature of the Lord and his energies. So this is all very compelling knowledge for us because it forms such a solid foundation for our practice. Anarthas, Anarthas go deep. That's why the study of these Sandarbhas is so important, and the approach to that study has to be properly conducted. I'll try to deliver some information in a way that you can understand the, the underlying points as best I can. We can only fly according to our capacity, so my capacity is not, not great, but I can try to help in some way by studying the work and trying to make them available to you. So Anucheta 22, the Sambanda, 
of this Anucheta is the, the Lord activates Maya, just as a magnet activates iron filings, not for his pleasure, but on behalf of the living beings. In order to bring out this point of Sambandagyan, the Praman, the evidence provided by Srila Jiva Goswami in this 22nd Anucheta, comes from the Srimad Bhagavatam. So he quotes the Srimad Bhagavatam verse of Mother Earth addressing Sri Varahadev. The English of the verse is, O Lord, you neither desire the creation, maintenance, and annihilation of this material world, nor do you not desire it. But by your glance, you activate Maya, who carries out these functions through the gunas, exactly as a piece of iron moves under the influence of a magnet. I bow down to you, O Lord, the witness of the qualities and actions of all beings. That's from the fifth canto. Then Jiva goes on to provide another praman, another evidence. And for this evidence, he quotes the commentary of Sridhar Swami. He paraphrases the verse that we just read in his own words. This is also a, a practice that you'll see a lot in uh, Srila Vishwanath's writings. He'll take the verse and he'll rewrite the verse. He adds commentary to the verse itself to pull us into the, the meaning. One meaning. All these verses have so many meanings, but into a meaning that he wants to convey to his readers. So Sridhar Swami comments, Sri Bhagavan, who glances over Maya, desires on behalf of the living beings. If he were adamantly opposed to this idea, there would be no question of his glancing. His desire, however, is not for his own benefit. Maya carries out the functions of creation and so on through the gunas. Though Maya is inert, she is set in motion by the proximity of the Supreme Lord. This is compared to iron filings being made to move due to the proximity of a magnet. Tarashraya, under the influence of, means turning towards the magnet. I offer my salutations unto him, the witness of the unseen destiny of the living beings who are composed of their qualities and actions. Here ends Sridhar Swami's comment. Some commentary on this Anucheda, the Praman that's been provided to make the point. Again, the point being that Maya is activated by the internal potency of the Supreme Lord. He sets Maya into motion, but he doesn't have any contact with it, Maya. This Anucheda explains how inert Maya, no consciousness in Maya, carries out functions of creation, etc. First of all, everyone acts upon desire. If the Lord sets Maya into motion, then there has to be a desire on his part. No one engages in anything without thinking, feeling, and willing. That's what we can perceive of our own actions. So the natural question would be, well, that must be also applicable to the Lord. Then we try to understand how the Lord can activate Maya and be unaffected.
in the verse that's used as the evidence, it says quite clearly, he does it on behalf of the living entities. It's not for his benefit. It's for their benefit. Tad aksata bahu sham prajayayati. This creation comes about by Bhagavan's glance and its annihilation takes place when he shuts his eyes. A doubt could come, but the living beings suffer birth and death. In other words, why would the Lord want living beings to experience birth and death? To dispel this doubt, we go to the Srimad Bhagavatam, to the tenth canto to the prayers of the personified Vedas. Sukha Goswami says, The Supreme Lord manifested the material intellect, senses, mind, and vital force for the living beings so that they could indulge their desires for sense enjoyment, take repeated births to engage in purposeful action, become elevated in future lives, and ultimately to attain liberation. And this is the ultimate purpose of the material creation. It's not that the Lord sets into motion his external energy and lets his marginal energy become involved in it with the desire that they continually experience birth and death. No, it's for gradual upliftment and it ends in liberation. His Shristi Leela is for the purpose of taking the jivas to the platform of liberation. And that's what he teaches when he personally comes. When there's a lack in proper religion, a proper understanding of artha, dharma, kama, and moksha, when people don't have the whole view of what material life is all about, then I come and I give direction. I correct the situation according to time, place, and circumstance. Sometimes I have to come and preach impersonalism. But it's for the gradual upliftment of society. So when Lord Krishna advances Buddha, we could say, what upliftments are you, are you promoting here? You're promoting people to be impersonalists? To merge until nirvana? No, but if I told them about bhakti, they couldn't wrap their mind around it. And we see that even with any preacher, even yourselves, when you go out and try to present the philosophy of Krishna consciousness, it's according to time, place, and circumstance. And we notice if you walk into a yoga studio and try to present the philosophy, you don't immediately start talking about You relate with the audience according to their mentality. And gradually you find out where they are and you give them remedial measures according to their position. We notice Sukadev Goswami, when he began to speak the Srimad Bhagavatam to Parikshit, where did he start? The majority of the audience were yogis. And they were yogis that were just starting. So he started out with, if you want to meditate, you want to perfect your meditation, begin by meditating on the conception of the Supreme according to what you are familiar with. So you're familiar with the sun. Well, that must be God's eyes. 
You're familiar with the air, you're familiar with the mountains, you're familiar with the bodies of water. It must be the bones, it must be the blood of God. So in different ways, he said, in the beginning, your meditation should be on what you're familiar with. And then gradually, as you become more and more contemplative, then you can go on to seeing the deeper understanding. From the Virat understanding, you can come to the Paramatma understanding. Maharaj Pariksit is the questioner. He's asking the questions, but the speaker is pulling the audience in. He knows the qualification of the inquirer, but he doesn't start presenting the Srimad Bhagavatam according to the inquirer's qualification. He takes into consideration that qualification, but he also is speaking to everyone. That's the way of, of presenting Krishna consciousness. You present it according to your audience. Also, when we look to this understanding of the material nature that's being presented by Jiva Goswami, to convey this point that Maya working under Krishna's direction will let me present the doubts and, and explain the proper understanding so that people don't get the wrong idea. The wrong idea being an anartha, a misconception. Giving philosophical value to something that really does not hold any weight when it comes to a broader understanding of what Krishna is doing in manifesting the material world and giving opportunity to the living beings to advance. Dissipating that doubt, that anartha. Then the next question would be, well, why isn't Krishna an equal opportunity employer? Why isn't he employing everyone in spiritual life equally? So that would be a doubt. Seems to be a little bit of prejudice going on here. Only hiring from this certain class of people. And the other class of people were not hiring in that group. We go back to the original evidence. The original praman, the first praman of this particular Anucheta. From the original evidence, the witness of the qualities and actions of all beings. So Krishna is the witness. Antaryami, he's inside every living entity, and he knows their desire and their qualification. So there's not any prejudice on his part, but again it plays to the fact of what is the qualification of the audience. So he is an equal opportunity employer, but you need to be able to be a carpenter to know how to hammer nails. You can't put yourself forward as having some qualification that you don't have simply to get a job. It will actually end in disaster. Everything you do will end up being nothing but a burden to the person that's contracted you. The Lord awards results according to karma. He is not biased. He is also not bound to deliver according to karma or that he has no discrimination. So he has rules in the material world, but he's not a karma mamamsa. It's not like karma rules the world. No, he rules the world. And if he wants to break his laws of karma, like in Kali Yuga, when he comes as a devotee, he can turn everything on its end. He can give the highest benefit to the lowest. So he's not bound, but he's acquainted with his laws of karma. And generally speaking, 
except in extraordinary circumstances, Namo Mahabharanaya, Krishna Prima Pradayate, where he wants to just give out prema, in normal circumstances, it, there's a progression. He is also not bound to deliver according to karma or that he has no discrimination. He does favor his devotees who are fully receptive and available to him, removing the imposition of indifferent karma. What's the first thing that happens when one takes to spiritual life? Kleshagna and Subhada. He throws karma out the window in the very beginning. Maybe some token here or there just to remind you you're in the material world, but really, it's just a token. Karma is no longer there when there is a sincerity on the part of the living entity to advance in spiritual life and to understand things as they are, to have a good foundation and, and work from that solid foundation, foundational relationship with the sadhu, with the guru. Samoham sarvabhuteshu name dvesho stinapriya ye vajanti tumambhakja I am equally disposed to all living beings, and so there is no one whom I despise or favor. But those who worship me through devotion are situated in me, and I am established in them. Another doubt can arise. Maya's inert, dead matter. How can a full cosmos manifest from dead matter? How is this even possible? And the response, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, he injects the seed simply by his glance. From the original verse, this ver word is there, ixitu. She carries out the functions by the three modes of nature, creation, rajas, maintenance, sattva, and dissolution, tamas. So there's two similarities here in the in what's to be understood from the verse, especially when we come to this phrase in the verse, like a magnet. And the two similarities are, with a magnet, I can move a piece of iron without directly touching it. I can put an iron on the top of the table, the magnet underneath, and do magic. And, oh, look. But really, I have somebody under the table with a magnet. So there's no direct contact, but I'm creating movement. So these two similarities work well for our understanding of the material. The Lord activates Maya as a magnet activates iron filings, not for his pleasure, but on behalf of the living beings. Going on to the next Anocheta, 23. 23 is a very large anucheta. Why it was presented as one anucheta, it's because there's one core principle within the anucheta. What is a complete understanding of the terminology maya as we notice it in the scripture? How should we understand this terminology? Jiva Goswami begins his breakdown of this terminology by presenting the understanding of Maya as most commonly understood when we read about Mayan Shastra. And he ends by taking a very broad approach, and this terminology is also applied 
elsewhere in Scripture in a variety of other ways. And let me introduce you to those ways so that you can develop the discernment, the fine discrimination to be able to understand how the terminology is being used in any particular circumstance that you may come across in Sadhu Sangha or in Shastra Sangha, when you're studying or when you're, you're hearing from the Sadhu. In looking at the Anacheda, we could say threefold Maya is real. So the Sambandha of the first part of this Anacheda, Jiva is going to show how Maya, in the commonly understood, in the context of Maya within the material realm, the energy of the Lord, which is what we would call his separated material energy in two parts, Jiva Maya and Guna Maya, as we've touched upon. Sri Jiva Goswami further explains how Maya cannot influence Bhagavan. This does not mean that Maya is illusory. She is as real as the other energies of Bhagavan. So she really exists. Maya is not an illusion. It's not an upadi. It's not an impression of, on Brahman. It's an energy of gods. Part one of this Anucheta. What's the Sambanda of part one? Part 1 deals with a general understanding of the nature of Bhagavan and how he is not directly affected by Maya. So the evidence used for this understanding, and we're just going to read the English of the Anucheta, liberation, also referred to as Kaivalya, is not possible where there is even a tinge of Maya Shakti. And owing to a lack of sense experience in Kaivalya, the bliss of Kaivalya cannot be an object of experience, Arthata. Thus, using the evidence of presumption, the presence of the internal potency in Kaivalya is established. And to show that, Jiva quotes from the Srimad Bhagavatam. Arjuna is praying to Lord Krishna. You are directly the original person, the Supreme Lord beyond the material energy. By dint of your conscious potency, you have cast away the effects of Maya and are always situated in your own self, the state of absolute unity. Now we'll note in this Anucheta as we go through it that in Jiva, a desire to also dissipate the notion of the Advaitins, the radical non-dualists, the notion that Maya is simply illusion. Their major setback in having a comprehensive understanding of spirit, of the Brahman that they so much desire, is that they do not accept that non-dual absolute has any potency. They basically think spirit is inert. It has consciousness, but it has nothing to think about. And the second it thinks about something, well then it would feel about what it's thinking, thinking, feeling, willing, and then it would willfully engage in something. 
they cannot grasp this concept for Brahman to have any of these qualities of thinking, feeling, and willing, and therefore exerting some influence, some action. Their conception of the Supreme being conscious inertia doesn't compute with us. And we think we have logical arguments and Shastric evidence to prove our side of the story. And we will take them to task and have taken to the, them to task as a Sampradaya since time immemorial. This Brahman conception, it does not stand. So Bhagavan is the original person and also the Ishvara, indwelling witness and regulator, Artar Yami. In both manifestations, you are beyond untouched by material nature. So this concept of Kaivalya can also be looked at in relationship to the Supreme in that he's completely pure, untouched by his Maya. As we unfold this Anucheta, Jiva Goswami is going to bring into play a deeper and more broad-reaching explanation of the terminology Kaivalya as it's used in the verse by Arjuna praying to Krishna. So a doubt can, can come up from this first section. One may ask, how can one delighting in the bliss of the self, Kaivalya, not having pleasure coming from anywhere else, but enjoying internally, be a perceiver of maya in such a way that his nature as Bhagavan still remains intact. It's a valid doubt. How can you activate with your will, even if it's on the behalf of the jivas, which has come out in the last Anucheta, how can you, with your will, activate the material energy without in some way not be affected by it. The material energy is a, is a quite substantial energy and there's a lot of marginal entities there who are conscious that need to be dealt with. How can you go into samadhi and enjoy yourself independent of any outside influence in such a way that you're true to the terminology of, of Bhagavan? You also, in your various manifestations, are the presiding deity over the material energy. So your amsas, they are effectuating the management. How can you be free of intercourse with her? How is that possible? There's a valid doubt. The response is actually in the verse. You have cast away the effects of maya by this internal potency, you are situated in the liberated state of absolute unity, Kaivalya. So some commentary to unpack and see what exactly this response means. So if Bhagavan activates Maya, he has to come in contact with it. Well, he comes in contact by his glance. As a magnet can come in contact with iron, it's activated. So how can he said, be said to be fully liberated or situated in Kaivalya? Or aloneness. Aloneness meaning alone, having no contact with 
the external potency. He's alone in his spiritual self. And the answer is in Arjuna's verse, the Praman verse of this Anucheda. Although Krishna has energies by dint of his conscious potency, this is going to be unpacked further as we proceed through this Anucheda. One potency can overpower another. We will be given some explanations regarding that. The darkness of the night can overpower the fog. The brightness of the sun and daylight can overpower the glowworm. Krishna's conscious potency, his shit shakti, can overpower his maya shakti in such a way that it, it has no potency at all in presence of his liberation, his liberated position in Kaivalya of not being affected. Arjuna uses the word Kaivalya in his prayer. That which alone remains when all coverings have been removed. We would say Brahman. The word comes from Kavala, pure, unadulterated. That's what Kaivalya is referring to, that re removal of any contamination. So although the word is often used to denote liberation, it also means non-different from Brahman in the sense of unadulterated and free from material contamination. Only in that sense. But in that sense of Brahman being unadulterated spirituality. Or also you could look to the state of the jiva when when there is no material manifestation. He's unadulterated. There's not affected by the modes of material nature at that time. Or in deep sleep, we're free of any outside impediments, impressions. Doesn't last long, but it's enough to, to give us a little bit of samadhi once a day really is. It's that quieting of our consciousness just for a little while. Try to go without it. Very difficult. Because Krishna's internal energy is not different from himself, he is situated in Kaivalya. It's not the same as his, his own being. So let's further unpack the Praman, which is the verse that Arjuna is speaking. Bhagavan does not con contact Maya but controls her like a magnet. Without direct contact, without any influence of iron upon the magnet. So again, we come back. The point is being reinforced here that there's these two qualities. There's no touching. It's not contacting. Or as the word was used earlier, there's no intercourse. But the potency is still there to accomplish, as a magnet accomplishes the movement of iron. Or as a solar machine doesn't contact the sun directly, but it takes that energy of the sun and could create its own energy from that. Although the sun is completely independent of it. But it can't create more energy than the sun, 
nor is the sun influenced by the energy it can create. The Lord controls Maya through his expansion, the Purusha, Paramatma, Purusha avatars, Paramatma is one of those. Karna Dakshai Vishnu, Garba Dakshai Vishnu, Kashira Dakshai Vishnu, which is also not touched by Maya. In Arjuna's verse, both these manifestations of the Supreme Lord are touched upon. The verse, Sanskrit, reads, Twam Ajya Purusha Saksad. So in this terminology, Ajya Purusha, we're referring to Bhagavan, the complete manifestation, the Supreme, and Isvare Prakriti Para, Isvara, the terminology referring to Paramatma. Both are transcendent to Maya, Prakriti Para. How much is in one verse? How much philosophy? When we hear these verses from the Bhagavatam, they can be unpacked. And Arjuna is saying a lot more than what you think he's saying, isn't he? He's bringing out this point that you, as Bhagavan, are not touched by Maya, nor is your expansion as Paramatma or the Purushas touched by Maya. Neither you, the term used is Aja Purusha, the Supreme Purusha, Aja Purusha, or the Isvara is touched by Prakriti, Prakriti Para. Prakriti has no influence on either of these manifestations of your divinity. Krishna reinforces this from the Bhagavad Gita, 15th chapter, English, 17th and 18th verses. Besides the fallible and the infallible, there is another, the greatest person, the Supreme Self, the imperishable Supreme Controller who has entered the three worlds and is maintaining them. Since I am beyond both the fallible individual self and my infallible manifestations as Brahman and Paramatma, I am known in both the Vedic literature and among the people of the world as Purushottama. So here's Krishna saying, even in relationship not only to the marginal potency my marginal parts and parcels, the jivas, but also in relationship to my expansion as the Purusha avatars and the Paramatma, I'm beyond both of those. So even if you can understand yourself, and even if you can understand the my expansions as the Purusha avatars and their manifestation of Maya, you still have to understand that I'm beyond both those understandings. He also says in the Bhagavad Gita in relationship to Brahman, because here he's talked about two aspects. He's talked about his marginal potency, the jiva, and he's also talking about his amsas, his expansions. In this instance, in relationship to matter, the Purusha avatars. But he also says the same thing about his relationship with Brahman. In the 13th chapter, 13th verse, Brahman, the spirit, beginningless and subordinate to me, 
lies beyond the cause and effect of this material world. So in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna's covered the whole gamut here of understanding his relationship with even his own expansions, what to speak of the material energy. Another doubt. Well, if the Lord's transcendental and situated in pure bliss, how can he experience Maya to control her? Because our experience is you're not going to control the bull unless you put a ring in its nose and you have the rope. How are you going to control? So our experience of everything we control requires our direct interaction with it to some extent or another. How can the Supreme Lord say that he's in control of the material energy and independent of it, as Arjuna is saying in the verse, in situated in Kaivalya, his own aloneness, free of any outside impediments, how is that possible, that he's controlling the material energy, although he's not in contact with it? Because we have no experience of that. It's a doubt. And Arjuna answers the question in the verse, which is the Praman. He presides over Maya, having subdued her by her chit shakti. And we will expand more as we go forward in understanding and unpacking this understanding that not all the Lord's energies are the same and have the same potency. We'll close this evening with this first section of the 23rd Anucheta with something that Vishwanath says in his commentary to the Praman verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam spoken by Arjuna. In his commentary he mentions, Maya is like a shadow. Just as a shadow is simultaneously separate from or outside its source, so it's separate and outside of its source, it's still fully dependent on it. So too, Maya is outside Bhagavan's Swarup and yet functions under his control. So are there any questions? Thank you very much for your association. Hare Krishna. Thank you.